Welcome to the Catholic Single Mothers Podcast. We're a vibrant faith-based community called Momentum for Single Mothers. During our time together, we'll hear stories and messages of hope. If you're a single mother and want to learn more about our retreats, meetings, and activities, please visit MomentumMothers.org. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast today. My name is Talitha. I'm one of the co-founders and executive director of Momentum. I'm so pleased and excited to welcome Claire to our podcast today. Hi, Claire. Hi, Talitha. Claire's been a single mom since her son was born in 2000. She's been an active member in church choirs, youth ministry, and catechism. Claire also works at McGill University as a researcher and runs a research facility. Claire is also a co-founder of Momentum and is on our leadership team. She's very involved with Momentum and leads our weekly prayer and sharing meetings. Thank you so much for sharing today, Claire. I look forward to chatting about my story. Would you like to share a bit with the listeners about how your journey started as a single mother? Sure. So I was um, uh, just finishing up graduate school and uh, finished my PhD, and I had an opportunity to take a postdoctoral fellowship position in Paris. So I was quite excited. I was 28, and I was uh, going to be moving overseas, and I had my two suitcases and off to the airport, and and uh, it was a, a new adventure, and I was really excited. Um, when I got to Paris, um, I had uh, learned French in school, and I really thought I knew quite a bit of French, but I quickly realized that I, I didn't know quite as much as I thought, and uh, it made the initial time there a bit difficult trying to settle in with the language barrier. And so it was a bit isolating at the beginning. Um, and also I remember the the um, weather was really gray and, and dark. And and so I didn't have much of a social life. And then the weather was kind of gray. And so it was, it was kind of a rough start um, to my time there. And then I remember coming home for Christmas and everybody was like, oh, it must be so amazing. You live in Paris. It's like a dream. And and I was kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great, you know, and, and didn't really say too much. But then I found when I went back, I thought, yeah, I live in Paris and I need to embrace that and, and, and do more. And so I went back with a really different attitude. And around the same time, I got involved at um, an English-speaking uh, Catholic church, St. Joseph's, and I got involved with the choir and started making some friends. And, and so things were starting to, to look up. But then uh, around the springtime, I was out one evening, um, I was just walking to the store, and and this uh, man approached me and started chatting with me, and he was he was flirting, and we, we decided to go grab a drink and chatted, and and shortly after that, we started dating. And um, I guess uh, I, I kind of knew right from the beginning that he wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't a good situation and that he wasn't a very nice fellow. We'd be walking down the street holding hands and, and he would be um, uh, flirting with other women walking by. And, and I don't know what it was that, that kept me calling him and and going out with him because I, I knew deep down that this was not good. And I think it was just being lonely and this feeling of having some attention rather than no attention and some company rather than no company. But in looking back, I, I, I knew the whole time that it wasn't, wasn't a good situation. So I was trying to, to break up with him when I found out I was pregnant. And, uh, it was just, uh, 
devastating, I guess, because I was in a foreign country and my family wasn't around and I had some friends, but it was, I had been there less than a year. So most of my friends were pretty new friends and, and, um, I ended up, uh, um, calling my sister and I told her, but, but she was in Canada. And so she could only offer me a certain amount of support. And fortunately I, I had a really good connection with my church. And so I called the church and made an appointment with Father Anthony and uh, went to see him. And when I got there, um, he was the first person I told face-to-face that I was pregnant. And uh, he was so kind and consoling, and, and there was no sense of any kind of judgment or anything from him. And uh, during our time together, he asked if he could say a mother's blessing. And I just broke down and cried and cried and cried because I, I had was just kind of getting comfortable with the idea that I was pregnant, but I hadn't even thought about the idea of being a mother. And that was really hard. But when I look back, I can understand that that was the right response for him to, to give me a blessing. And then he uh, had contacted the choir director who, who I knew fairly well, and she lived just down the street from the church. So I ended up going down um, to see her and, and spent the afternoon with her. She was really great to speak with me and was very consoling and and uh, helpful in kind of the initial that initial shock of the my whole situation I can really feel as you're talking just what a profound experience that was what you went through and just how difficult that must have been mm-hmm. yeah I think the hardest part was was after that I then had to call my family and I had to call my parents and I called my siblings and it was really hard to tell people because I kept thinking when my family, like when one of my sisters called me to tell me she was pregnant, it was exciting. And she was, you know, with her husband and she was married and, and this was a thing to celebrate. And I was making those phone calls in, in shame and judgment. And, and even I remember like some people saying like, what were you thinking? And and uh, I'm disappointed and, and things like that. And it was really hard because, uh, of course, it wasn't what I would have wanted. I would have wanted to be pregnant and in a loving relationship. And and uh, so it was hard because you just felt like, uh, how come I don't have a happy pregnancy, you know? Yeah, um, yeah that, that, that um, connection with, with people was really, really hard. And I guess you were still in Paris when you were making these calls, so you were still, in a sense, really dealing with this on your own in a foreign country. Yeah, I found out in August, and if anybody's ever visited Paris in August, the whole city shuts down and everybody goes on vacation. So the restaurants close, the flower shops close, everything is is closed. And all of my friends were away on vacation. So I really had nobody, like, in my immediate surroundings to talk to. Um, at least on, you know, on a daily basis. I did have Father Anthony and the choir director who were really great, but but my good friends were not around. And then, as you say, it was a phone call. And actually, now that you say it, I remember back then it was quite expensive to call overseas as well. So you were kind of keeping your calls short and and so on. So yeah, it was it was pretty difficult to to navigate that. Did you feel a connection to God during that time? So it was really interesting. Right before I found out I was pregnant, I remember praying for more faith. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I don't know if my faith is very deep. 
and uh, and praying for more faith. And I, I often think about that, that certainly that experience um, builds your faith. And I think the the thing that drew me closer to God was that I really had no idea what to do. And I had no idea what the future held. And it made it really easy to just say, okay, God, <laughs> whatever is coming my way, please be with me and, and help me navigate this. And so you, you kind of had to surrender because you had no other alternative is almost um yeah I guess just turning to God in in that desperate time but um I was happy that I turned to God you know it's beautiful that you were able to turn to him and that you could get some comfort from your relationship with God and so I guess at some point you told the father that you were pregnant yeah so I, I really felt he deserved to know and um so I contacted him and and he didn't speak English and so I was kind of practicing what I was going to say in French to him and we met up um uh on this on the Seine River which was really close I lived about 10 minutes from Notre Dame Cathedral and we met up near there and and I when I think back it's like one of the most romantic kind of Hollywood movie places we were sitting on the wall by the Seine right across from the rose windows at Notre Dame when I told him and at the time, uh, there was a, a tour boat going by in the river, which was down below. And like literally the minute after I told him, he looked down and saw a woman on the boat. And I can still hear, he said, um, tu es les beaux yeux, you have beautiful eyes. And I'm sitting right there and I've just told him that I'm pregnant with his baby. And he's telling this random stranger that she has beautiful eyes. And the rejection was just so intense. And I just, I was almost in shock, you know, that that he could be so callous. But in reflecting about it now, I realized that it also gave me real clarity that there was no kind of question of, should I try to make this work? Or is this somebody I want to spend my life with? And, and so I guess in, in hindsight, I'm kind of thankful that it made it really, really clear that there's just nothing to be pursued here. I'm so sorry that you went through that, just a level of rejection during such a vulnerable time. And it's so interesting to hear your reflection now that his reaction, in a sense, freed you and gave you the clarity you needed. And you can really see God at work and, and how much you trusted God as well. Yeah, I'm really thankful that my faith, I guess my faith was deeper than I thought. Yeah. You know, it was it was obvious to me to turn to God and turn to prayer and turn to the church, and, and I'm really grateful for that. So what happened after your conversation with him? So I, I kind of regretted telling him because for the next five months or so, he harassed me. He would, he would show up at my building drunk and ringing my doorbell, like ringing the the uh, call button, you know, in the middle of the night, and he would call me on the phone. And, and I started, um, I couldn't do anything about the buzzer for the for the building door, but at least I didn't have to, like, he wasn't at my apartment door. And uh, I just started unplugging my phone at night because I, any, anybody who's uh, been in that first trimester pregnancy, you're so tired, you, you really need your sleep. So, um, so that happened kind of off and on. And then, um, Finally, I decided to talk to him because I, uh, I thought, well, let's just get this over with. What does he want to say, you know? And uh, we talked and it basically he just was telling me how selfish I was that I was going to bring this baby into the world without a father. 
and um, really the right thing to do would be to have an abortion. And he had no sense of any sort of responsibility himself or any any uh, desire to make things right. He just wanted me to have an abortion and, and you know, fix everything for him. And um, we talked for about a half an hour, but it was just going in circles. And it was very clear that that was his only agenda was to, to get me to terminate the pregnancy. And and so I, I asked him to leave, and, uh, and that was the last time I talked to him. How did him wanting you to have an abortion impact you? Um, I think, um, again, it kind of solidified that, that idea that there's no, nothing to be pursued here. Like, like it, so it was good in a sense that I knew I was on my own, but, but it was really clear. It wasn't kind of black and, it was black and white. It wasn't gray, like, you know, should I try to make this work or... You know, and I was so fortunate to have my career. Like I had my PhD, and I was in tra- in a postdoctoral training, so I I knew I could find a good job and take care of my my son and my family. You know, um, but then, you know, I I think uh, I guess it also made me thankful for my my faith again because I had always been very pro life and and uh, never really questioned. Uh, I never thought of having an abortion. But um, I also had a whole new understanding of why people do. And um, one of the things I realized is in those first few months, you are just so traumatized and your whole life is flashing before your eyes and you're, you're picturing, you know, what am I going to do with the teenager by myself? And, you know, the whole thing is just in front of you. You're just completely overwhelmed. And that's the time when people make these kind of decisions, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was so thankful for my faith that that, that wasn't even, like, I, I felt like I'd made the decision when I decided to be intimate with the father, and I was living with the consequences of that decision, and I, I didn't feel like I had a decision to make at that point. So I was very grateful for that. It was very clear to me. Um, and the fact that he wanted that, I just, I mean, to me, I just saw his selfishness that he, um, you know, he didn't want to be a father, but he didn't want the guilt of knowing he had a child out there who he wasn't fathering, you know? Yeah, it's such a confusing situation because on the one hand, you had the clarity that you needed, yet also it's natural, you know, as a woman to long for companionship and love and support and someone to protect you and be by your side, especially when you're carrying their child and and you're pregnant. So I, I can imagine the confusion and and the complexity. Yeah, and, and that was hard. Like, I, I moved back to no, to Nova Scotia. I moved back home. Um, and uh, even just, like, who's going to go to the hospital with me? And, you know, who's going to support after the baby's born? And, and those things were hard, too, not having a partner who was, you know, the, the father who loved the, the child and loved me as part of that whole process. You know, and my family was very supportive. My my, I moved back in with my parents, and uh, they were, you know, they welcomed me with open arms. and And my sister came and was at the delivery with me, and and it was really, you know, I was really loved and and cared for. But you still felt that that peace was missing. That you understood why, you know, the best way to have a baby is in a loving marriage where there's a mother and a father and and the they're loving each other and the baby's created out of love and and not that um 
not that my son wasn't created by God and isn't loved by God, but, but I knew right away that my situation was going to be difficult and was not really in the way God would plan it, you know? How are those early years as a single mom with your son? So I, I stayed with my parents for about five months and, uh, they were very supportive, but it was still, you know, me who was getting up in the middle of the night and me who was taking care of him when he was sick. And But I didn't have to worry about groceries and cooking and paying the bills. So it was a, it's a pretty good arrangement, but I felt I needed to, to find, you know, what am I going to do next and, and build a life for me and my son. So uh, when he was about five months old, I took a job um, teaching chemistry, which was my, my graduate training for a year. And it was really good. I was able to uh, kind of work a bit flexible with my hours. And I, I found a, a family that took him in for home care. So he was staying with a family during the day. And uh, and I was teaching. And then after that, I had several other jobs. But each time I had to, to move, um, just because my area of research is very specific. So we ended up um, in Virginia, where I lived for about three and a half years. And that's where... Basically, my son had his toddler years. He was between two and five, and uh, it was a really great place to live. We, you know, lots of outdoor activities, and it was a beautiful uh, climate, and we made some pretty good friends, but it was challenging not having family close by. If he was sick, I had to miss work, and if he needed to go to the doctor, I had to take him, and so everything was kind of uh, in in your hands um, and actually, when we first moved there, he was really, really sick for about four or five days. And uh, he was only um, not even two, and he lost two pounds, and he had a fever of 104 for like three days. And we were back and forth to the hospital, and I didn't even know if my insurance was going to cover it because we had just moved. And uh, and I, I remember um, like he was just having a fever in the middle of the night, and and I was so worried. And then when we kind of got through that, uh, I thought, if I can get through that, I can get through anything, you know, and because we had literally just moved like the we were I was driving around the neighborhood to get him to sleep in the car while we were waiting for the moving truck to pull up to the house. So like we had no bed, we had no laundry, you know, nothing. And so it was a really, really rough start. But then I think similar to the situation in Paris, I felt in a way empowered, like if I can do this, um, it's going to be okay. A theme that really runs through your story is the idea of being alone, whether it was your pregnancy or raising your son in, in different cities away from your family. And I know a lot of single moms struggle with this too. Can you speak a bit about your experience of being alone and how you dealt with that? Yeah, so I um I come from a big family, so and I'm very extroverted, so I love being around people and I love busyness. So I think one of the hardest things I had uh, struggled with as a single mom was was being alone a lot. And even when my son was young, he he was a good sleeper and I was super happy for that, but he would go to bed around 7 or 8 and then I'd be sitting there going, "Okay, now what?" you know? And that included Friday night and Saturday night. And, and of course, I found babysitters and things. But, but there was a lot of time alone. And uh, when I moved to Montreal, it was very similar. Like, he, he would go off to bed and, and until he was older, going for sleepovers and stuff. It was, it was uh, a lot of time alone. So I felt very uh, isolated. And, and uh, loneliness was sort of was something that would kind of come and go as, as something that was really um, troubling me. And, 
and bothering me. And then um, there was a period of time where I was just praying and reflecting, and I was reading this book by Henry Nouwen. And in the first part of the book, he talks about moving from loneliness to solitude. And, and of course, it drew me right in <laughs> because I was feeling very lonely. And um, at the same time, a whole bunch of other things happen. And so I could really feel God kind of guiding me at that period. I was reading another book about saints, and there was a Saint Laura Vacuna from Chile. And she was this patron saint of abuse victims. And it was just the, the first story in this book on saints that I picked up. And uh, I also had a good friend who had a very abusive ex-husband. And she had shared with me how she would work all day. She would pick up the kids from daycare and she would get home and she'd be about to put the key in the door. And she would be terrified of what was waiting for her on the other side. You know, was he going to have had a good day or did he have a bad day? Was he would be waiting for her to make dinner, you know, while she was doing working and taking care of the kids. And and she was just terrified. And I remember like the combination of all those things making me realize I have a beautiful home. I have a peaceful home. I have quiet. <laughs> you know, I can pray. I can read a book. I can go to bed early, you know. And my home is my refuge, and, and it's not a place of fear or or anything like that. And it, it was just a switch that, that turned, and the combination with that book about going from loneliness to solitude, I felt like I was on that journey, and God just flipped things upside down for me. And it's, you know, I still have periods where I get lonely, but I think I'm much more quick to embrace the time and just make the best of it. And and actually, I, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but I found that during the pandemic, when we had lockdown at the beginning, it actually didn't bother me at all. And I realized, you know, I already went through this for 10 years when my son was little. So, um, you know, doing it for another year is no problem. <laughs> so it was interesting. I, I felt like that prepared me for that. You're able to navigate the pandemic better than most people. Is there something that changed in your behavior, in your day-to-day -day activities, once you came to embrace solitude more and feel more at peace with being alone? So um, right around the same time I was praying and, and I had this, you know how it's not like a, a voice in your head, but you just get this clear thought and it doesn't feel like your thought, you know? And it was uh, surround yourself with spiritual things. And I just became really conscious of watching, you know, movies about the saints or reading good spiritual books in the car coming home from work. Instead of listening to the news, I would listen to praise and worship music and I would arrive home feeling peaceful and ready to make dinner instead of feeling stressed out about all the news that I had just listened to. And, and you still hear about the major things going on in the world. You're not isolated from that. But it takes it away from the forefront and really orients your thinking towards, you know, positive things. And and it doesn't mean life's not challenging or things aren't difficult. And even the stories of the saints, you see how they they struggled too. But it just changes your whole um, disposition. And uh, I felt like that really helped. And one of the things I really struggle with is anxiety. And so now I find when I feel my anxiety kind of bubbling up, then I remember, surround yourself in spiritual things and I'll, you know, turn off the TV and pick up the book or listen to the, the praise and worship music and not watch the news and, and things like that. And I, it's like a little um, 
radar, you know, to tell me like, oh, wait a minute, you, you skipped your rosary today, or you didn't pray yesterday. And, and it just helps me to stay grounded. Yeah, I really admire how much you surround yourself with positive spiritual content and how much it you could see how much it nourishes you. Yeah, it keeps you focused in the right direction, I think. Yeah. Is there anything else about your story that you'd like to share with the listeners? I had um, an experience um, on retreat when my son was about 10. And it kind of comes back to the whole issue when I was pregnant about abortion and, and having the baby. And and during that retreat, um, I felt a real block with God, and uh, I couldn't figure out what it was. I was praying with scripture, and I, I literally felt like there was a screen in front of me, and I was trying to look around it, and I couldn't. And so I ended up going to confession um, during the retreat and, and just telling the priest that I was feeling this block. And he said, um, you know, sometimes there's something that we've done to to break our connection with God and distance ourselves, and and that you know, um, asking for forgiveness for that can can open up those or, or remove those blocks. And I remember thinking, okay, thank you. You know, and he absolved me from my sins and I left. And, and then I thought, well, I, I don't really think there's anything there, you know. And then after dinner, I was praying in the in the library and it just came to me with such clarity. I remembered those early days in my pregnancy laying in bed in my apartment and just praying from the depth of my heart for a miscarriage. And I had, I thought, you know, I'm not going to have an abortion, but, but you know, God can give me a miscarriage and then my life will go back to normal. And it just felt like the solution, right? Like it'll, it'll fix everything and everything will go back to normal. And in that moment, um, of course, my son was 10. And the idea that I prayed to God for him to die just shook me to my core like I was like of course that's creating a block between me and God he gave me this beautiful baby boy and I'm saying no thanks I'm good you know let's go back to normal and uh, I had no idea that this was you know in the depths of my heart I had no idea that that was something that that was blocking me from God and it was so crystal clear I was just so grateful for that revelation and that that time of of retreat so after the retreat I went to confession again (laughs) because I was like okay now I gotta confess this now that I realize I've been holding this in my heart and uh and so I went to confession again and I it was I've told that story to several people who are close to me and and it felt really good and it felt resolved and I I felt a new closeness to God and then uh, that would have been about 12 years ago and just recently that that's come back up in my prayer time. And, and I was like, but I've confessed that. I, I think I'm good. You know, I, I asked God for forgiveness and I went to confession. And and then um, a whole bunch of different um, experiences and voices kind of came back to me. And I'd remembered a time in spiritual direction where my director recommended um, going back to painful periods in your life and using your imagination to re-enter those moments and bringing um, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, any of your deceased relatives or saints that you're very close to in your prayer time and bring them into that scene because they were there. You know, like Jesus was there when I was praying for a miscarriage. And of course, I wasn't aware of his presence at the time, but, but I can go back to that. 
And then I had another friend who had mentioned to me just that week about how God surpasses time and that he, he, you know, something doesn't have to be in the past. He can, so we can revisit those times in the present. And so those things kind of combined, I, I felt really compelled to pray. And I went back to that scene and I brought the Holy Family, Mary, Jesus, and I always think of Joseph as the protector, especially in a, in a single mother family. I brought my uh, grandmother because my family, I didn't know her well because she, she passed away when I was only one, but I've just heard about her as a spiritual um, warrior and I brought her there. And then I said a prayer of protection over my son in my womb, why I was saying that prayer, because I was inviting evil in, I was asking for death, you know, and I was inviting evil into my womb and evil into him, you know. And so I said a prayer of protection. And if God surpasses all space and time, then then that prayer of protection could be in the past. And I have to say, after that experience, it was just a few minutes of prayer. I noticed a, a lightness in my son and a new bond in our relationship. And this was just recent. I really noticed a, a warmth between us and a more settledness in his spirit after that. And so I was just, again, it was just like a whole bunch of different little pieces all coming together at the same time. And I'm definitely going to use that, that method of prayer, I think, in my, in my prayer time moving forward for, you know, other events that, that I may need to have more healing. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's really helpful, I imagine, to a lot of people because we all, you know, need healing from so many things and just the idea that God is timeless and that we can go back in prayer and go back to those moments and ask for protection um, I think is really really helpful just as an idea for people to do to address those areas that they still need healing in yeah it was I think the the thing it reminded me of was that our healing journey is never over at least not until we're in heaven and that that we can always be asked to go deeper and to revisit things and and also how our, our actions affect others, you know? Like this was a prayer that had an impact on my son too, you know? Yeah. For me to have those negative feelings yeah. and, and, and to have that comfort of knowing we can go back to those moments where we were weak and, mm-hmm. and made mistakes and, and ask God to come in and, and you know, transform those, yeah. those memories and those, those prayers, you know? Yeah, and you can understand and see how... At that time, you were in complete survival mode and overwhelmed trying to process what was happening. Um, and now you, you have the perspective on it, but you could see how at the time, how difficult that must have been. Yeah, I didn't have any sense of, of um, I don't know, of like self, uh, I don't know. I understood why I prayed. I didn't feel like I was judging myself in that moment. I, I understood why I prayed that. And I think also in that time, you, you don't know them, right? And when I, you know, in the time when he's 10 years old and I'm thinking of making that prayer, it's like, oh, my heavens, you know? And uh, and so it, it shows us, I think, that how vulnerable we are in that, that time of pregnancy when, when, you know, we don't see the baby that it's, you can understand why I felt it would fix everything, you know? Do you have any message of hope for other single mothers? 
I think based on my my journey, that period where I really went from loneliness to solitude was was a real key. And I know loneliness is something that a lot of single moms um, experience. So I would just encourage moms when you're feeling like that to really turn to God and and look to him in prayer and and for support. And I think from my experience with the time of prayer, um, to look to the communion of saints and the Holy Family, and there's really lots of um, of spiritual um, beings, I guess, that we can also reach out to for that comfort. And and we really aren't alone; they're they're with us and around us each and every day. And then I think momentum has really tried to to bring that. Um, spirit into the community and so the momentum community is another place where I think women can share and reflect and and not be alone. Thanks so much Claire for sharing today and just your vulnerability and openness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for joining our podcast today. If you're a single mother and would like to know more information about momentum please visit our website at momentummothers.org. God bless and see you next time on the Catholic Single Mothers Podcast.